Turn now to the Word of the Lord. The Old Testament text we will be reading is all of Psalm 110. Seven verses in Psalm 110. A Psalm of David. Beginning with verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations. Filling them with corpses, he will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Now we turn to the New Testament text, which gave rise to the passage we just read. It actually quotes it. I will be reading from verse 33 to 38 in Acts 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 33 to 38. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This ends the reading of the Lord's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Lord and Father, we thank you for your word, which is sweet in our mouth and builds up our faith. And now, O Lord, may the thoughts and meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the part of the sermon series, little one, that I've been preaching through Acts 2 on Pentecost, the time when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the people of God. So this continues that, and I will be finishing this short series next week with uh, reading, working on Acts 2 up until verse 41, and then we'll turn our attention after that to Matthew, where I'm going to be picking up where Pastor Williams left off. So We'll, we'll just go back to Matthew and keep working through Matthew with a little bit of review, perhaps. So this way we'll have some continuity in the uh, working through the scripture. But for now, 
I have to tell you that I just had too much fun in Psalm 110. So we got to look at it. <laughs> you know, the scripture has this ability to capture your attention with stuff you've looked at a hundred times. But then you read it 101st time and you think, I never really saw that. This is really good. I want to think about that some more. So that's what we're dealing with with Psalm 110. This is a text which is a very rich and important text. And Peter quotes it because uh, it's vital to uh, the people he's talking to to understand who they're dealing with. And we'll look at that text in a moment in Acts 2. But for now, I direct your attention back to Psalm 110. So here is quoted in Acts 2, Psalm 110, verses 1 through 7. So when he quotes this, he quotes it because David is a prophet, and that's what Peter tells us. Uh, And as a prophet, Peter says in verse 31 of Acts 2 that he foresaw Christ being ascended to heaven, raised from the dead, and ascended to heaven. He saw this because he was a prophet. And so this is a psalm of David where that is foreseen. Now, Psalm 110 is divided into two parts. This is really uh, a fundamental feature of this psalm that you have to grasp because the two parts correspond to two ages and two eras of fulfillment. The first part is the ascension of Christ after his resurrection, which has already taken place. It's actually Acts chapter 1 describes that, Christ ascending into heaven. And that's the first part of this psalm, verses 1 through 4. But then the last uh, three verses of Psalm 110, verses 5 through 7, That's actually the second coming. That's the second part of Christ. When he ascended to heaven, it was in order that he might rule now in the midst of enemies in this age and then come again. And David saw that too in the second part of this psalm. So that's what we're going to be looking at in light of those two parts. So the first part is the ascent of Christ. Now this ascension of Christ begins with the identity of who we're talking about. Now there's uh, a couple of things here going on. First of all, David is speaking to us in the very first part of verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, And then he quotes what the Lord says. And I, you know, our translations generally help us there by putting it in quotation marks. And so this is what the Lord says. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So the prophet is speaking and he's quoting that. One thing that our uh, text, my translation doesn't do though, is it happens again in verse 2. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. 
Now you should have quotation marks, rule in the midst of your enemies. The prophet is introducing the Lord's speech to his Lord and then quoting it again. So let me go through this text and make that observation a little clearer, but I want you to see ahead of time what we're going to do in those two verses. First of all, David is a prophet, and prophets see visions. This is uh, clear in Scripture. We want to see this Numbers 12. Numbers 12, the latter part of the chapter, is where you see the nature of prophecies primarily through visions. They see things which are equivalent of dreams. It's actually, there's three words there in Numbers 12, visions, dreams, and in one translation it is dark sayings. I kind of like that one, dark sayings. It's actually the word for riddle. Uh, so Samson's riddle, or riddles of the wise in the book of Proverbs. And those are the, that's the nature of prophecy. And, and it's because it's a vision, it's, it's appropriate to say the prophet saw something. In the same way that you, you have a dream, you see something in your dream. You might hear things, but you see things. And that's what's happening in their experience. This is not a natural dream. They are receiving a vision from the Lord to see things, like in a dream experience. And so David is a prophet, and he's seeing things. This is what uh, Peter says. He foresaw. It's interesting, he saw it ahead of time. What does, what does David see ahead of time? Well, let's read it. Psalm 110.1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and being invited by his father to sit at his right hand until a future point in time. Until I make your enemies your footstool. So David is writing roughly, well it's over, a thousand years before that event, but he sees it and announces it. So now the people of God can see in his day and subsequently the ascent of Christ, his son. Now, this is, this is really rather obvious because Jesus himself, in a passage we'll read later in Matthew, Jesus himself points to this verse and says, how can David call his son my Lord? And this is, this is a... It's a significant statement that David is pointing to his son as his Lord seated at the right hand of the Father. David himself did not do that. He did not ascend into heaven and sit at God's right hand on a throne in heaven. His son did. And so you have this statement, the Lord says to my Lord. Now, in some translations, including the one I'm looking at, this is a, the ESV, English Standard Version, but others do it as well. The name of God that he revealed to his people, sometimes expressed Yahweh, that name of God, when it's 
communicated in Scripture is capitalized Lord. So you'll see capital L-O-R-D. That's when they're referencing Yahweh. They like to use that form to communicate Yahweh. So here in verse 1 of Psalm 110, the Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord. Now that's a different word. That's not Yahweh. That's the word for my Lord or my master. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later, but this is where you get a difference. In verse 2, the Lord sends forth from Zion. That's Yahweh. Yahweh sends forth from Zion. Verse 4, Yahweh has sworn. Then in verse 5, you go back to that form, the Lord, my master, the Lord says. So in the, in the differentiation of the name here, it's quite interesting because it's the God of Israel says to the Lord of David, sit at my right hand. This is the God of Israel, Yahweh, who's revealed himself as the covenant God of the people of God, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And this is, this is part of why what Jesus is doing when he ascends into heaven is fulfilling the Old Testament. He's bringing the Old Testament into its fruitfulness to where now it can arrive at where it was aimed at all along. That's what we mean by fulfilling it. Now you come to the realities that the Old Testament is pointing to us all along, and that's the coming of the Lord of David uh, into uh, his uh, rule over all creation. Now, verse 2 continues the same form. The Lord, Yahweh, sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Now, David is talking to his Lord, his son. So this is a prophet again speaking to the son. The Lord, Yahweh sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. And then here's the quotation of sending forth the royal scepter. This is Psalm 110.2. And here it is. Rule in the midst of your enemies. This is fundamental for understanding where you and I live right now. We live in the period of time where the Lord Jesus Christ defeated death and all of his enemies on our behalf, and then he went away. <laughs> and we don't see him anymore. Well, here's where he went. He went to the right hand of God the Father to rule in the midst of enemies. His and our enemies, until his father puts them all under his feet. So you live in the midst of enemies. They are Christ's enemies too, and their days are numbered. There will be a day when the father puts all of those enemies under the feet of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 the ultimate enemy is death. Death is not our friend. It is still our enemy. Even though our Savior has defeated death on the cross, 
We live in the midst of it. But its time is limited. There will come a day of reckoning for death. And any force that serves death will be brought to account and put under the feet of our Savior. Until then, we live in a time when Christ is ruling in the midst of enemies. Brothers and sisters, if you want to know what the secret is to the book of Revelation, I'm not going to sell it to you. I'm going to give it to you free right now. Okay? Here it is. Here's the secret to the book of Revelation. That verse. Verse 2. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. Christ ruling in the midst of enemies. Until verse 1 is fulfilled. At the end of Revelation. That summarizes it. He wants you to see it. Through the eyes of a vision of a prophet. It's called the words of this prophecy. You're seeing it in, in visionary, dreamlike form, but you're seeing ultimately all of his enemies are going to be defeated and put under his feet. In fact, the psalm is actually quoted in Revelation to that effect. So there is a day. There is a day ahead that David sees and announces to the people of his generation and every generation afterward that Christ will rule in the midst of enemies. So Jesus went away, but it's not that he abandoned his people here on earth. He rules in the midst of his enemies through the Spirit. This is what Pentecost is all about. You want to know what, what Acts 2 is all about and the Pentecost and the outpouring of the Spirit? Christ coming to be with his people in the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. He has not abandoned us. He comes to us in Pentecost permanently here today to dwell in the midst of his people and rule in the midst of his enemies. This death may come to us but it will not have the last word. You will fly to the Savior's presence at your death. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, death will not have the last word because it is an enemy that he has conquered. Until that day, you will be with him. Until that day when your body is united with his to be like his resurrection, glorious body. Then, all of the enemies, including death, will be put under the feet of our Savior. The Lord Jesus didn't go away because he's an absent ruler. He went away, he says, so that he could send the Spirit, which is better for us this powerful working of the Spirit in our midst to give us encouragement and strength to inform our prayers, to build up our faith, to make us strong in the Lord in the midst and the face of all the opposition that we face. Because we will face it. But these are enemies that he rules in the midst of. This is the testimony of the word of the Lord. He gave to David to announce to us Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Rule in the midst of your enemies. 
And then here's what you do. Verse 3. Here's what we do. Here's us. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. This is you, your people. He has purchased you on the cross. And here is this place of ultimate shame and powerlessness. He has transformed and turned on its head to make it a powerful place to bring you into his fellowship and, and number you as one of his people who will offer yourself on the day of his power. This is why we're here today. We are here to fulfill that prophecy. Your people your people will offer themselves freely. That's what you're doing here today. You're offering yourself as tribute to this victorious Savior who's ruling in the midst of his enemies. And he's won you as his prize. But then he doesn't treat you like a slave. He treats you as one of the fellow victors. He adds you into his family and adds you to this great court. But then he's done something here that's indicated with this word. Your people will offer themselves in holy garments. This is a very surprising reference. You are offering yourself to the Lord today, and you have holy garments. You say to yourself, I'm not much. You don't... You don't know the kind of nasty things I do. You repent of those things. You come before the Lord and get holy garments from him. You want to see this, you go to the book of Zechariah. But here, this holy garments, I will read a verse for you. This holy garments is from, this, this phrase is found in Exodus. It's found in Exodus 28. Let me read it for you. Exodus 28 Start at verse 2. Exodus 28, 2. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastplate, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker, a checkerwork uh, ephod, a turban, a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. This is the priesthood of all believers. And David sees this. You now have holy garments because the Lord has made you part of his priesthood. Not just Aaron anymore. You now have been included with holy garments. This is why you pray without any hindrance. This is why you can come into the Lord's presence and sing. In the old days, one of the Levites sang in the temple. Here you are singing to the Lord. You come before him as priests with holy garments made beautiful by the blood of Christ, washed clean, purified. This is what David saw. There's a new time coming, he said, 
when the people will come before this victorious Savior in holy garments and offer themselves to him. You do that. You've done that today. You keep doing that. This is your hope. This is your privilege to offer your thanksgiving to the Lord for what he's done, our great Savior and mediator. This is, this is what David's talking about, doing that. So you now rule, and you're not his enemy. You're his people. Well, as the song goes forward, now you find we have been made priests by the great high priest. Verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There the prophet speaks once more, giving the words of the Lord. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. A new kind of priest. Now if you want to know what that means, the book of Hebrews, we'll just read the whole thing and it will be really clear. <laughs> Until then, let it suffice for me to say, he is a high priest like no other. Melchizedek was modeled on Christ. That's what Hebrews says in chapter 7. And Christ is that great priest who lives forever to intervene for his people. And his sacrifice is always, the one sacrifice always sufficient to cover all of your sins. That's what this priesthood of Melchizedek means. That we might serve him as priests. Wash pure so that our sins no longer are before us and before the Lord. Cast away, covered over, and gone in the presence of God. That's what this means. That's why we are priests. We have a great high priest. Notice how David is seeing the New Testament stuff. He's a prophet. He's foreseeing this stuff and announcing it ahead of time. New Testament fulfillment of the old. Well, now, very briefly, verses 5 through 6. Here now is the second coming. This is the return of Christ. There's a pause here. There's a shift in time frame. He who is seated at the right hand of the Father is made a promise that he will come again. And when he comes again, the Lord will be at his right hand to shatter his enemies. Here are the enemies, universal enemies, who stand up against him. If you want to see this, you could just go to Psalm 2 or the book of Revelation. Again, it's really clear in Scripture. He will come again to destroy all of his enemies, including death in the end of the day. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. The poetry here is really beautiful. I could get into that now, but I, I won't just for time's sake. But notice how shatter appears twice as one indication. Shatter kings, verse 5. Shatter chiefs in verse 6. This is the parallelism that uh, is being built up. But this is universal. On the day of his wrath, among the nations, over the wide earth. This is a universal uh, cataclysmic judgment that the Lord Jesus will execute on the last day. This is the second coming of Christ. 
when he comes again to shatter all of his enemies. And this is, this is why at the end of the psalm, you have an echo of the beginning of the psalm. Sit at my right hand until, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Here, verses 5 through 6 and 7, they're made footstool for his feet. He will drink from the brook by the way, therefore he will lift up his head, verse 7. This is a portrait of a victorious warrior who has finished the battle. Drinking by the brook, he's satisfying his thirst, which arises from battle. So he, he drinks by the brook and he's refreshed after the strenuous fight. And then he will lift up his head. Lifting up your head in the Bible is another way to say exalt. He will be exultant in joyful celebration. This is the day when the Lord comes. It's a day of great joy for his people. And David is looking forward to that when his Lord will lift up his head after this great victory. Well, brothers and sisters, David, through the Holy Spirit, is prophesying of the Holy Spirit coming to bring on that last day and of our Savior's great ascent. And Peter now, if we turn back to Acts chapter 2, Peter is testifying to these things. You see, our faith is not based on empty hope. It's based on testimony from God. It's prophesied of these things. And then they came true in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the apostles saw these things and testify of them to us through the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the marvelous things about the sermon of Peter in Acts 2 is he's preaching by the Holy Spirit of the Holy Spirit. So in essence, the Holy Spirit is telling us about himself in this testimony of God in Acts chapter 2. And, and Peter says, look, you yourselves saw this. You've been here today and you've seen the effect of the Holy Spirit when he's poured out on these people. You heard their words. You saw the effect of it on people. You yourselves are witness of these things. And I testify to you of their meaning. The meaning is Psalm 110 has been fulfilled in that first part. The Lord has said to his Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Rule in the midst of your enemies. He says, that's, that's what's happened. And the Holy Spirit being poured out is an effect of our victorious Lord sitting at God's right hand, ruling in the midst of the enemies through the Holy Spirit. And Peter says this, looking now at verse 36. Let all, this is Acts 2, 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's made him both Lord, the Lord says to my Lord, and Messiah, because he's anointed him to fulfill the prophecies of the son of David, who was anointed. This is David's anointed son. 
But then you are to know this for certain. Know beyond a doubt. Know this because of the testimony. This is true and certain knowledge. Your faith is based on certain knowledge gained through testimony that God has given to you. God has sworn these things to be true. They are sure and reliable witness from God. This is why our faith is not just hopeful clicking of our heels and hoping it comes to pass. These things are true and certain. That the Lord Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling until he comes again to bring all of his enemies under his feet. This is what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, 41 through 46. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Because <laughs> they discovered who they're in the presence of. But notice the words there. Lord, Messiah, Christ. He's, whose son is the Messiah? David's son. Jesus says, that's me. Who's, how can he be called Lord? That's me. I am his Lord. That is, that is who you're talking to here. Jesus is testifying to you who he is. He's the fulfillment of Psalm 110. And then it came to pass when he ascended into heaven. This is clear testimony from the Spirit. David speaking in the Spirit testifies to you of who Christ is. He is Lord and Messiah at God's right hand, ruling in the midst of enemies. His rule is not only in the future, it is now. He now rules over this earth. This, brothers and sisters, why our priestly duty to pray is so important. The Lord is pleased to use you as part of his rule so that your prayers can accomplish his purposes here on earth. Go back to 1 Timothy 2. Go back and read that. You are to pray for all of those outside for the peace of our, of our cities and our, our culture. Yeah, it's, it's tangled web. But the Lord rules in the midst of all this. Who knows what he will do? You pray for the peace and prosperity of his church, that we can grow in this place and bring the gospel to the lost because there will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day when he comes when there is no more hope for those who are outside of Christ. 
We pray urgently that the Lord will extend his gospel. You pray for preachers. You pray for the elders and the deacons and the people of the church that we can be faithful to build up the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, that we might testify to the Lord Jesus Christ and his rule. This is your privilege as those who have been given holy garments from our Savior, purified by his blood, to pray in your priestly duty. Brothers and sisters, let us take advantage of that wonderful co-ruling with Christ that he's given us now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, too often we are prayerless. Help us to pray. Teach us to pray. Guide our prayers that we may give due honor to Christ Jesus, but also, O Lord, that your will will be done here on earth and in heaven. Your name be magnified. At the name of Jesus, many will smile and come and know for certain that there's hope in the world now that our Savior reigns. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.